a dodgy analogy that I always use is that client liaison is kind of like a, a lasagna and that there's many layers and you can kind of pick at what you want. You can eat the whole thing or, yeah, have a, a spoonful of this area or that. Mm. And, you know, one layer might be the fashion or the visual or the narrative of ideas of Australiana or corporate, the corporate mythology. Or one layer might just be the music. And you can take what you want, you can leave what you want, or you can have the whole thing. Hey, I'm Dan Brophy, and this is the Quit Your Day Job podcast. If you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, each week I'm talking to someone who's doing what they love and earning an income from it. Some of my guests will be world-renowned, some of them would be leaders in their own field, and some of them will be changing the world in a very quiet way that maybe only a small handful of people will ever truly understand. But each of them loves what they do and finds purpose in their passion. This week, my guest is Harvey Miller. He and Monty Morgan are the frontmen and masterminds of Client Liaison, who have been carving a niche for themselves in the Australian music industry for over five years. What started as a Melbourne party band with an ironic 80s pop aesthetic has since become a national and now international sensation. There's a lot to discuss when it comes to Client Liaison's offering, their music, their videos, the theatre of their live shows, the extensive merchandise and designer clothing collection, and now their chauffeur-driven off-white limousine service. So if you're interested in finding out how to create and grow a brand from the ground up, or how to make a place for yourself in a market where one doesn't currently exist, then this one's for you. Please enjoy my chat with Harvey Miller from Client Liaison. Cheers to uh, the Black Lipton. That uh, yeah, this is the kind of tea that um, yeah, comes standard in the, the workplace. You know? <laughs> Along with the nice the Nescafe and, yeah, and the, and the UHT all, milk and Arnott's yeah, Assorted. All sorts, yeah. Um, I like to start by asking people, when people say, what do you do? What do you tell them? I say uh, music slash entertainment. So, yeah, it's just a broad kind of term. I mean, you know, I don't much like musician because uh, it, it does appear um, to be, you know, the guitar around the, strapped around the back or like the, the busking kind of situation, the struggling artist. It Does, has that connotation. Oh, it makes you sound busted. Yeah, and, and, I, and I'm not, not struggling by any means. So it's uh, music entertainment. Yeah. I think you should start saying musician so that people, you make a better name for for musicians in people's minds. So when other people who aren't as successful can say that they are a musician, they're like, oh, I wonder if it's like that Harvey gent that I met. That's the proactive uh, approach, but um, to... uh, Self-serving? Self-serving, yeah. Um, One funny thing is on that note, I should mention is that uh, friends from school, now getting on about 10 years since I left high school, um, when I bump into friends, they're sort of like, Oh, so how's that? Uh, how's that that music thing going, mate? You know the, the the band with the kind of that's how it started out, actually. Well, do they? They wouldn't do it anymore. Surely. No, no. Now they're like, oh, you're doing real well, mate. Yeah. Like, but when it started out, they're like, yeah, has the um, you know, maybe when we had one clip out or something. Yeah. How's that music thing going? Yeah. yeah, the music, mate, gone. Yeah, I'm just in property, but um, <laughs> by my third house, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, but now they're just like, oh, mate, I saw you on the telly. Oh, you're doing real well now. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's good. It's um. So that's encouraging. It's just all oh, funny to see kind of, well, kind of, cause yeah, we're, you know, we now have a bit of a public profile and 
what we do is in the public sphere. So it's interesting uh, surveying, I guess, over the years of how people respond to that. When you meet people whom you do say, I work in music and entertainment, mm-hmm. if they've never experienced the band before, do you have a top line description you like to give to try and give them a taste of what it is that you do? Oh, yeah. I mean, depending on their age, if they're, they're young, I might say something more colourful like John Farnham on acid or, oh, or something like that. Oh. Otherwise, uh, if they're a bit older, I'd say, uh, you know, the, the dance music, the, you know, the DJ culture, something like that. Kind of like an old person would say the Facebook. I just put it, frame it for them. As someone who experiences the work, it's not just about the music to me. It's it's a whole package. That yeah, I mean, it, in, in, for, in my instance, what we do, uh, we're sort of about, um, you know, storytelling, uh, a multi-sensory experience. Uh, you know, we, we now have a limousine business, for instance. We, we wrote a song about a limousine. So we bought a limousine, and now, as a fan or listener, you can hire that limousine. Or even if you just want to, um, uh, you're getting married, and you might not even listen to client liaison, but you can hire the limousine. So it's this kind of idea of art becomes reality, reality becomes art, vice versa, and yeah, ideas of story, narrative, and this kind of whole wide world experience. So um, also we did a fashion line uh, last year. Yeah. With, and, just putting together the second one, the client liaison designer line, so. Which was stunning. Oh, thank you. Breathtaking. And so many of the items in it, and I'm going to, of the, I'm, I'll definitely put some images of the fashion line on the show page so that people who listen to this can experience and possibly even click through to buy if there's oh, anything left in the collection. Very nice. Well, but the, when I, the, the reason why I mention it is because when I looked at it first, I thought, oh, I don't know if any of these things are going to work, and then give it. I reckon I gave it a couple of months. I think I saw the photos because our friend Kate Ballas took images of oh, it. Oh, yeah. And I, I went, oh, wow, I wonder if any of these will ever seem relevant in a streetwear context. Yeah. And after the point at which they were released, they <laughs> all were relevant in a streetwear context. You read the zeitgeist. Beautiful. Oh, thank you. Well, I guess, I mean, I guess the point to be made there is that, like, we were trying to make uh, we we're trying to make a separation between merchandise and uh, the fashion line, mm. and it just goes back to what I was saying before about you know what we do with our music. It has all these other arms and legs, and that's sort of what it's become. It's it's a bit it's a bit odd like that. So I find myself kind of in a position of being a creative, but you know now doing things like. Uh, uh, real business orientated things like you know, fashion business Excel spreadsheets and you know trying to follow budgets and stuff and it's it's far beyond the um, you know romantic idea of a creative and um, you know sitting in some log cabin writing poetry or something that, that kind of would pop into most people's minds even if you were wanted to do the log cabin time in order to be successful or even be okay with the person who you're handing over the the power to then be doing Excel spreadsheets for you, you'd still want to know what's up. Oh, definitely. I mean, one thing I would say just about, um, I think there's been like this, uh, like a, not to trivialize it, but a kind of trend or movement to where everyone would like to do something that is socially beneficial to the globe, uh, creative, um, fulfilling your uh, desires and interests and yeah give yourself sort of self-fulfillment and have this kind of like perfect job yeah where you create 
help the world and give yourself fulfillment. And, you know, I, I feel like it's a, it's a bit of a tall order. And I've, you know, I always talk to friends who are in industries uh, that they uh, that might on the surface appear to not be creative. But to me, I think they're like terribly, utterly creative. For instance, you know, uh, this friend who, uh, you know, says, oh, I don't know about my job. I want to um, maybe do something creative. And then when I pressed her, she, she couldn't really tell me what she did. But I myself was just so enthralled of what she was doing, which was like employing people for, you know, to start uh, this you know, computer pr- uh, coding to create systems to uh, solve problems within her team of her business um, that she works in. It's like a leader in it. It's just like, oh my God, that's so fascinating that you're like doing these complex things that are going to solve these problems. And I think that's so much more creative than like me who has a kind of traditional creative job of like musician. Maybe there will be a latent appreciation of things like the job that your friend does. I would always imagine that there will... Well, I imagine there'll be a lot of people who are doing things they aren't fulfilled through solely. But that's, to me, almost reminds me of the idea that one person should give you everything you need as far as friendship, paternity, fraternity, a lover. Uh, You know, you'd hope that someone would come close to giving you a lot of those things, Mm. but you're not going to only interact with one person forever and ever. Amen. Similarly, the job you do should give you stimulus and turn you on and excite you and allow you to evolve and motivate God willing. But at the same time, you know, I, you, that should, that shouldn't be your end or maybe, you know, having a passion that is living in tandem with your day job is a nice way to feel well-rounded. Oh, that's a definite, um, the correct approach. And I mean, an example of this um, stereotype, it's, it's cotton on to the kind of mainstream. And like, if you looked at that, uh, Pepsi ad, the Caitlyn Jenner one, if you look at how, uh, young people were depicted in that. They're all, you know, protesting, walking down the street with cellos strapped to their back, uh, swirling drumsticks. Mm. This idea that not, none of them actually, uh, you know... Have jobs. Have jobs. They're just all these, like, airy-fairy creatives that mm. are, like, changing the world. And it was just like, oh, I, I felt so embarrassed to be a creative. Yeah, right. Seeing that... Uh, that this is now the generic stereotype that's like corporations like Pepsi are kind of depicting as the trendy thing place to be. So for me, I was, I'm very strong on like, I think there's as much beauty and creativity in, um, all kinds of jobs that people might not necessarily tout as uh, creative. Uh, I'm doing those things. It's my fingers in quote end quote quote end quote creative like teaching for instance mm. um i think there's so much creativity in teaching um uh, traditional jobs like that maybe you know 100 so, yeah i just for me it's um i get a bit uh pissed off when i would hear anyone like aminar and who's in this like what i you know great position say oh maybe you know do something creative i'm like oh do you enjoy what you're doing now? And they're like, yeah, I guess so. It's like, well, what do you, what do you want to do something creative? And they're just like mentioned before, it's just this kind of attraction at the moment, you know, that I'm going to have this creative business and there'll be an Instagram account and I'll 
I'll oh, just cruise the world taking photos of me traveling. I don't know. <laughs> I'm rambling now, but no, you, I you understand that kind of what it's, I'm saying. The, I'm 100% on board with you. I don't. I hope that the fallout from this, if say for example, there's a generation of kids that are witnessing the they get a poor taste in their mouth. Pardon the pun from the Kenner, Kendall Jenner Pepsi commercial, and they are seeing how being a creative is just this weird hollow th- twirling drumsticks while yeah. while encouraging people to join the conversation with the placard. And what of what conversation Pepsi can't tell us, but there is a conversation according to them to be joined. But I wonder whether or not the next generation will be a neo yuppie mentality, which will yeah, ba- I mean, band together and delight in becoming doctors, lawyers, and accountants. Well, once more. it's like what are they called? Uh, STEM uh, STEM subjects: science, technology, and maths, or something. Uh, you know, we in Australia, you uh, we've got a total. Have to splat out some statistics, but it's like you know, it's a well-known fact that uh, we are very short on uh, graduates um, of, who are thorough in those fields, mm. and some of the job uh, prospects for people who study science, technology, and maths is fascinating. It's like the most creative kind of outlets ever. So, I guess I'm just yeah drilling down back to that point of the kind of traditional idea of a creative of you know with the paintbrush in one hand. It's just I really um, revel against that. But you know I can't help but think as well. You know I always fantasize about the idea of being an actor, and I really wanted to do that. I was just talking the other day about my six failed auditions to NIDA, and I really wanted to go through that system. Yeah. And then I, I have now just known enough people who've done it who are a nice example of how that dream that I wanted so badly might not have served me well enough to be the Mel Gibson that I always dreamed of being. Yeah. But yet I found I was encouraged by the universe to study filmmaking and to and there's no lack of performance in things that I do like oh. this very podcast. I still get to be a big fat show off, but I'm not solely. Um, given the life of an actor because I don't think I would like it. I don't think yeah. I would want to be waiting for someone to give me the right to do the thing that I love to do. I am much happier being an independent creative that makes all my own projects. And I think if I was to have gone through the drama school thing, I would have come out mid-twenties and gone, all right, world, you owe me something. I'm educated. Well, Bring it on. And yeah, I mean, the kind of the way the acting career works at the beginning is, is terribly difficult because you, you sit there and wait for auditions it's a big waiting game and there's not much objective standard you just rock in and yeah and sorry we've already cast a girl with with blonde hair and blue eyes your hair is not really what we were thinking of in comparison with her so maybe we can sort of go for the person who's just like you but a a slightly different shade or you know some other random thing well I wanted to find I just want to get this sorry I just want to show you this meme now I know this podcast Podcast is not a visual medium, yeah, but we'll, podcast we, is not a visual medium. We'll incorporate this meme in the show page. But so I just, you can see it. I think memes are very Telling. important. Yeah, I mean, when I first heard about memes, I'm just, oh, they're just those things that are jokes on the internet. But then I realised what memes are. They're actually, uh, it's a way to communicate complex ideas very, very quickly. So they don't necessarily always have to be funny. Like, oh, you know, here's a cat with a so and so on its head doing this. It could be, yeah, like I said before, just a something else with image and text that conveys a complex idea very, very quickly. And um, my friend posted this, this hilarious uh, illustration, right? 
and it has this fashion designer sitting on a boardroom, staring up in the air with her hands, like sort of pressed together like Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. And it says, so basically what we're trying to do here is identify a way that we can use feminism and social activism as tools to sell more clothes in a way that feels organic and on brand. And that kind of comes back to the point I was saying before about this kind of like movement of like, the kids who are walking down the street in that um in that Pepsi commercial, like everyone's a creative, everyone's saving the fucking world. And it just it makes me embarrassed to be a creative. You you're right. Maybe the idea of being creative, because see, I even the way I've restructured the podcast, it's not about the end game is not being a creative. For me, the end game is using creative tools to actualize, to ah. a, to align with passion. And I think I was talking to another friend who works in social change, but from a business perspective, and her role is to find the problems with with social change models and drill down deeper. Yeah. So right now she's looking at why are there are no female entrepreneurs. Mm. So then you know she's she's getting back to basically at age three and four, little girls and are rarely told you know how clever and much of a boss they are, but. Very often, little girls are told how beautiful they are. And oh, yeah, the language and how yeah, that would uh, reinforce Exactly. Ideas. So, but no little boys are told that they're handsome as often as they're told they're a good boy. And being a good boy might mean that you're grooming them to be obedient and work hard yeah. and therefore be more available to the business world. So, I like the idea that if you change the conversation to kids around, you know, you can be anything in the whole wide world. Whatever you want to be, you can be it. Because depending on your level of uh, opportunity and privilege that may not be possible mm. but I love the idea of having a conversation with kids along the lines of you know what do you care about what do you really want to what do you love what are you yeah. doing and if if what do you love or what are you passionate about but I mean passionate is a big concept for a kid but what do you love to do is the dialogue from the time they're really little then they're always going to pass through whether what they should invest their energy in based on how much they love it and they don't necessarily need to to, they would ideally find a job that is involves what they love to do but as long as they're making time for what they love to do they're not going to be disappointed in the same way that if they said I'm going to be an astronaut or I'm yeah. going to be a firefighter because then that's pretty black and white if you're not the astronaut or you're not the firefighter or you're not well I had one girlfriend who was very depressed one day when we were talking in her late teens I think she was like 19 and she was like I always just thought I was going to be really rich and have a four car garage and now I'm realizing <laughs> that that's not going to happen <laughs> And I was uh, like, that was her dream. And no one ever said to her, you know, what do you love? But they just said, you can be anything you want. And yeah. she wanted to have a four-car garage. You know, I, th- that's a fantastic point you touch on there. I, too, had this kind of just... I thought I was just going to be a businessman of some sort, you know, just in a suit with my own business. One thing I, I would say if I was giving anyone advice uh, who was younger, and like you speak of then, of these, these um, you know, structuring ways to for kids to be able to figure out what they want to do, it'd be to yeah research more thoroughly different different jobs and actually and the lifestyle around the job yeah. i think is important not just the job itself i mean that i feel that uh yeah i guess i guess the point there is for me was just my naivety when i was younger and around uh kind of jobs in general and industries mm-hmm. and uh not really um i don't know just in retrospect, it's like uh, I just I feel like I shouldn't be shouldn't have been as naive and um, could have been open to more. Naivety is a good trait sometimes, though. I think not knowing how many pitfalls there can be is a great way to sometimes set out. I, I'd love to know when you guys were. Uh, how far back 
in time would I have needed to go to witness Harvey Miller and Monty Morgan having a conversation about starting a band? Well, it was, it was, um, it wasn't calculated at all. I mean, that I was just really into music, as like is every kid uh, around the world. Um, it wasn't calculated. It was just I uh, was thoroughly, thoroughly into music, and uh, in about grade ten and eleven, I started to uh, teach myself music production on the computer instead of doing homework. And prior to that, I'd learnt instruments all through school and whatnot. And then I just kept on doing it because I I, I could. I just enjoyed it so much and then um, it was it was so simple it's just it's it gave me so much joy and I I would I just continued to do it and then um, hooked up with Monty simply because he was a friend of my brother's and he sung on a song of mine that I, I produced and it went from there it, was, it wasn't serendipitous it wasn't uh, the most exciting of stories it was just uh well, I mean, but you know what, though? You, you imagine this monkey magic bursting forth from the rock moment when something really great happens or universally worthwhile. But most things do happen in a very slight way. You know, you just it's just mates yeah. trying something out and seeing if it flows. And of all the things we ever give a go to, occasionally one in a thousand might be something that we that, that clicks and works. I think I just kept doing it. I like... I think everyone young uh, starts a band or something or starts a fashion label. Mm. I mean, I remember, you know, wanting to have a fashion label. And Was this in the early 2000s? Yeah, of course. <laughs> and, you know, we, had, uh, we would make jeans and, and print T-shirts with my friends and all that. And you know, if that had been taken off, I would have continued doing it. And then I went on to music. And that just kept working for me and, and to the point where I, I could do it full time. And it... It's as simple as that. I mean, I think if it, if we kind of crashed and burned early, I, I would be in a, a different industry. And I guess that's why. It's like I got to do the second thing I ever wanted to do. So the first, and that's why I feel, that's the result of having a trauma-free upbringing, I think. It's like I went to do, like make jeans and print T-shirts and stuff when I was, you know, a teenager. And I didn't turn into Subi or opening ceremony. So that hit the ground. And then I did music and then that, that just worked. So I don't know, there's, is that naive or is that... I like the idea, I mean, I also love, oh, I love the idea that you have ended up reincorporating fashion into the fold through client liaison because it's clearly something that, that you love, that means a lot to you. So, yeah. or, I mean, or if I were I similarly... You know, you know, like I was saying before, I've managed to incorporate a performance element into what I do that allows me to be a more competitive version of that thing because of other passions. Yeah. At what stage did you... I mean, this is what Steve Jobs' opening uh, address would call joining the dots on your life and just yeah. sort of observing where your interest and passion and a little bit of a excitement from from the response that you get suggests that oh this is good i should keep exploring this yeah all signs point to yes and there's an effortlessness to it because you're getting in the flow of things oh definitely but describe that early period from working with monty first was that still a late teens high school thing oh no that was sort of i think i was maybe 23 okay. 24 so there was a bit of time between 
Yeah, 23, 24. And then prior to that, I was just learning my craft, which was music production and just doing what 22, 21, 23-year-olds do, which is just go out to nightclubs and party and go away on weekends and go to the beach. It, you, you just hang out and enjoy the world when you're that age and that's all I was doing then was did you have a did you go to uni yeah I went to VCA when I was I think 24 just to study fine art but then I uh, I had to drop out halfway through my last year and I often joke that um, the only true way to finish uh, an arts degree is to drop out of an arts degree you don't actually finish it unless you do that but that's because we had an opportunity to go on a world tour uh, in support of flight facilities. So it's kind of like your career is, is here in front of you. Are you going to, you know, go on a world tour and fly around the world and perform to people? Or are you going to not do that and finish half a year of uni? And I deferred. But then when I went to try to go back the next year, you know, we were writing our first album. And so that was sad and that I would have liked to finish that but I still learn a lot from um, art school it really taught me how to think how to approach subjects research break them down and investigate things so I, I really enjoyed my time at um, at the VCA that does make sense to me to observe the scope of what client liaison is does have and you to think that there was the mind of a kid that went through art school behind that and all the ways you can flesh out an idea and have it go on a non-literal trajectory that sort of makes sense to me did you at what stage did client liaison as we know it in terms of its you know cultural reference points and its color palette and its look yeah. start to get woven into the the production oh well i think just from the very beginning because monty and myself have art school backgrounds so um a dodgy analogy that i always use is that client liaison is kind of like a, a lasagna and that there's many layers and you can kind of pick at what you want. You can eat the whole thing or, yeah, have a, a spoonful of this area or that. Mm. And, you know, one layer might be the fashion or the visual or the narrative of ideas of Australiana or corp the corporate mythology. Or one layer might just be the music. And you can take what you want, you can leave what you want, or you can have the whole thing. Mm, that, so, that bechamel of nostalgia is just exquisite. Yeah. But then, uh, yeah, you might hate the rest of it and, and just have one part. So, yeah, I guess... Uh, yeah, that multi-sensory experience. Uh, yeah, it's, it's all just a result of being at art school. You know? To me, I'm a, a Melbourneian that now lives in Sydney and has done so for five years. And I am one of those annoying Melbournians that keeps on talking about how amazing it is, no matter how far away from Melbourne <laughs> I am. And if I'm in, a, no matter where I'm in the world, but in particular Sydney, because it's just so different and couldn't be more different in that everything that's great about Melbourne doesn't exist in Sydney and vice versa. Mm. But because all my values, what I think is good about life, are Melbourne values, I will forever complain that they don't exist in the city that I'm currently living in for work. But that being said, I don't think client liaison could have come out of any other part of Australia, let alone the world. Do you feel like it's a uniquely Melbourne offering? Yeah, I mean, people usually say, oh, it, oh what's with, uh, you know, you guys sing about Australia? And it's like, well, no, we, just, we live in Australia. It would make sense for us to sing about it. It's like, oh, you, you sing and write about, you know, your Australian politics. It's like, no, we just sing and write about politics. Oh, and it's like, it's just because of, out of proxy. We live in this, this country, you know, so we don't really think about it. But I think people are 
put that question on us because uh, most of us kind of just reflect Western uh, American culture. So uh, it's it's odd to look inward, but yeah. Uh, for me, although the the Melbourneness comes in not in terms of the direct references because that is Australiana, and in particular, it's a a flavour of Australiana that I think we have nostalgia for and that I remember from like an early to mid nineties mm. place in particular. But for me, the Melbourneness comes into it in terms of there's a culturally referential knowing that or an irony that can be woven into culture in Melbourne that's not necessarily taking the piss. You can actually be ironic and and you've and, got to transcend the irony and enjoy yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's actually there's a knowingness that can be referential, but at the same time utterly serious, and that to me is a nice balance. Well, the seriousness of yeah, one thing that we stress is that you kind of you go through a point of irony, but then you transcend it to a point of seriousness and appreciation. And if you do anything uh, with conviction, it will render it with a seriousness. So, an example we often give is, uh, you know, when you say Prince come out in a leotard. People aren't laughing, saying, oh, look at that, how silly that is. They're like, no, nah, he's owning it. That's serious. Like, he's daring you to have a problem with it. Yeah. And he's also, you know, if you were to dissect what he's putting up on a platter is the ideals of masculine and feminine that are combined. Exactly. And he's also saying, you know, I am this thing that every woman in the room wants to sleep with, yet I'm also presenting the feminine back to her in the way that, you know gels with she's attracted to it but she feels safe with it and she's turned on by it but she's challenged by it and then the men yeah. who are wanting to jump on board that train are like well what do i need to be to be that sexy and cool so yeah i just think you it's important to people might see what they we do and be like oh what the hell's going on there that's absurd that's goofy that's this but i i think if you uh what we do yeah we we do it with conviction which we hope and quite confident in uh render results in it uh being serious there's a theme that I noticed. I hadn't seen the show for a couple of years, and I or it, was, it was a couple. It was almost like a season of work. It was between the. It was just on the brink of the album being released, and I hadn't seen it since it was an EP. In that time since seeing shows, your look on stage went from being unique and that no one was dressed like that and referencing, you know, that late '80s, early '90s shtick to enough time had passed where street fashion had sort of started to reflect the similar sort of palette and, and a look. And I was thinking, how are you guys? I said, what would happen if we lived in a world where everyone dressed like you? You wouldn't be able to wear that anymore because all of a sudden you have to raise the bar. I wonder how they're going to change, evolve, raise the stakes. And then in the between the first act and the second act, when you reemerged, it was in this sort of black light, terp futuristic version of client liaison, oh, and you almost nice. you transcended the '80s and you'd gone into the future in the way that. You know, the Jetsons is still 70s, but it's the future idea yeah. of the 70s. You were still the 80s, but you were the future idea of, yeah. of the 80s. And it was, you know, it was oh, Campbell won't be calling. It was, it had transcended. Yeah. Um, is, 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 all, is the idea that you would constantly need to be changing the story to stay one step ahead of the game? Yeah, I think it's important to um, evolve, uh, creatively evolve like that. I mean, you know, uh, a lot of uh, iconography or symbols that we uh, use that may be the beginning and references we've put to a side and found new ones and it's um yeah we're constantly obviously we're anchored like in the 80s and 90s but um yeah our goal is to obviously have the hand in today and there's there's we're not short of um of, of Touch mat- material <laughs> material and ideas and concepts to uh to dig into and grab our teeth into 
um, we we love nothing more than than brainstorming crazy ideas that you know like buying the limo and going to a, a selling limousine business or the fashion line actually do come to fruition I mean some of them which we were throwing around the other day was sort of workshops and education so uh, you know currently as in cooking class currently as an exercise class Uh, what else was there there was you know relaxation tapes all kinds of I mean I could keep going on but wouldn't want to give away all our all our gems but uh, yeah we were actually had this meeting the other day where we were just firing all these ideas around. I mean, there's one of them one that I'll put out there that we actually want to um, make a public offering for the distribution rights of Fosters at the moment because the brand's quite lost and we, uh, we reference that brand a lot and we want to uh, kick in some money and do some kind of like crowdfunding campaign attached to it where we uh, make a public offering and bid for the distribution and marketing rights of Australia. So Australia is to buy back Fosters. So that's kind of, that's one thing on the horizon we want to do. Beautiful. That and like, you know, client layers and film, all this. So yeah, don't get me started because I'll keep rambling about all these other ideas. I, well, I love it. I love the idea that you can diversify because that's a problem that I think many musicians, but a lot of platforms and mediums have is they become too entrenched in their genre or their niche and they can't diversify their portfolio in the way that you guys can and have done so beautifully. How long into the journey of being a musician did you no longer need to do other work to support oh, being yeah, a musician? Yeah, I think it was about three, about three years into uh, being a musician, I uh, began to do it full time. What, what other jobs were you doing to support yourself? Oh, I was working at a gallery. It's an awesome job, like Gallery Hand um, at Murray White Room in South Collins Street in Melbourne, and that was that was a great little job. Uh, a call centre. I worked in call centre um, prior to that retail. So I think when I was maybe twenty five, I, I think it went full time. No, twenty six. Yeah, it went full time. Great. How old are you now? No, twenty five. I think. I'm okay. Twenty eight. Okay. So, um, and what did that allow for you? Did it, was there a shift in terms of what you were able to do for the band once you could dedicate your energy full time to it? No, not, not particularly. It just, it just kind of, um, I guess it did unknowingly though. Did it give you more research time? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to tell you the truth, one, like some of my weaknesses are, you know, structure and, all of, all that kind of thing, and, and I'm trying to deal with having a creative, creative um, job. You know, I envy the kind of office situation. We actually did end up replicating that. Now, studio functions like that in office works really well. But I'll get onto that in a bit. But I struggle, um, you know, not having anyone to tell me when I have to wake up. I mean, that's difficult. And I'm getting better at it now that I get older. But you know, telling it a 26 year old you don't have to work and you don't have to wake up when you do whatever you want to do. It's difficult because, you know, I was uh, sustaining myself, but at that age when you don't have any, I have responsibility, but I, I, no one's telling you off for not doing it. No one's telling you off for not doing anything. So I, I, all I, 
trying to make sense of that was difficult because I missed that from especially being in school you know doing a project and a teacher coming up above your shoulder and saying well done or this is fantastic or setting you a task maybe that is kind of like half a day time period or maybe a task as small as like a 10 minute task I don't much get any of that and I any of those things that I experienced at maybe university and school knowing that you work well in those that sort of structure have you tried to recreate that structure in your day-to-day uh I think the best thing we did with client liaison is we uh got an offer a studio space which we uh, we went into every day it wasn't like our manager worked from some other office and we had home studios we have a space in the city where we all go every day and being around each other it's very productive so I don't know many other bands that Monday to Friday go to their studio and being around your friends you just end up coming up with ideas and studios luckily quite big in that we have all the other people who work with us come there graphic designers stylists um, uh, friends uh, other band members there's at some point says you know, lots and lots of people in there. There we might be ten people in there working on merchandise or, or this or that. So that was the most structured thing that has happened to client liaison. That's been of the most benefit of having a place or an office that's in the same area that yeah, we go to every day. And do you think that? I mean, what was one of the biggest challenges besides from you know teaching yourself to not to procrastinate, not not to? Well, I still struggle with that um, today. Like I procrastinate now. Um, this is a procrastination from other work you yeah, should otherwise no, I, be doing. Yeah, it's yeah procrastination, and I still do that. And um, it's hard being a creative person that's allowing themselves to have flights of fancy with going down research rabbit holes. And my boyfriend Paul is an amazing artist. He's probably one of the more prolific artists I've ever observed. And so much of his process is to look at him. You'd think, come on, get to work. What are you waiting yeah. for? But it's actually that huge absorption pondering pottering space that then allows him to have the genius ideas off the back of that yeah how do you balance you know does does research time or creative thought time get uh um positioned in the workday in a way that is man measurable to you yeah it's kind of like i'm just always researching non-stop when I'm browsing the internet or looking here or there on, on Instagram and, and whatnot and you know all the things that people uh, you know all the images you take in every day but then I, I, sh- I should say I only procrastinate when it's kind of task like having to do invoices or or file management you know moving a bunch of files from one point to the other that that's when I'll procrastinate but in terms of uh, making music and doing the kind of core creative things or I can do that for like 10 hours. Yes. Like I, I will look at the clock and it will actually, a minute will tick like a second wheel. Like I can get into the deepest states of flow where I, I have these th- sort of, I just wish the clock would not go so fast because I think, you know, I used to have limits of 4 a.m., and then slowly it's, it's come back to two. So I won't, I'll try not to stay up past two, but yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome if I get going at 10, 11, 12, one, two. I do my best work at the night time because there's no distraction. It's great. Like 
doing work at night time is the best because the feeds slow down a lot. The Instagram feed slows down. The Facebook feed slows down. Uh, Twitter feed slows down. The news cycle kind of goes to sleep, at least for Australia. And you can, you know, you can't call anyone. You can't call your friends. You can't text them because they're sleeping. So for me, the night is just this great place to work. And, yeah. Do you have a ritual or anything that you would do? I mean, when you knew there was work to be done, how would you prepare yourself to do oh, it? I just... I would just finish dinner and just keep going. Is, I, is, that off, it, is that off the back of a day where you've already worked through yes, the day? Yes, yes. So I, I would work... I'd go into the studio and... and just to preface, uh, supply some context, right now I haven't been doing much music making because we're on tour at the moment. So I've switched that off and, you know, we're focusing on the design line. And a few other things, uh, merchandise, just touring in general. But in terms of when I get back into the put the music production hat on, like I flick a switch and it's just it's 24 hours a day. So I'll do it in the daytime, but I'll do it quite cruisely. I'll have a two-hour, three-hour session, and then I'll I'll go do some other stuff, and then I'll have dinner, and then after dinner it's from like eight till two, three in the morning, like non-stop, and it's just like this crazy flow. But I also used to uh, smoke cigarettes and um, drink most nights. So that was, I mean, that was fantastic. I'd just, I'd go gun ho and I don't do that anymore. So that's, it's been hard to try and change that, but. Because you'd be used to rewarding yourself. Yeah, um, I'd have reward structures and all kinds of things that surround with like addiction of um, cigarettes. Um, reward structures like if I work for the next hour I can have a cigarette yeah or like I'm gonna that was really what I did just then was fantastic I'm gonna roll myself with a cigarette and I mean I wouldn't drink too much but just I'd always be drinking sipping on a beer and smoking and so it's been good to um, kick that habit I think reward structures can be really helpful you know I in a big sense I would I was trying to find a way to convince myself to do my taxes and I was like right I'm allowed to buy a new iPhone if I do my last two years tax return but that's beneficial um, to you it's just smoking it's sm- smoking yeah. isn't <laughs> and there's the, then there's the micro version which is cool I'll go make another cup of coffee the problem with me is I peak out at like four strong coffees yeah. in a day so I have to choose those punctuations very specifically but I would still reward myself for a morning well done with an 11am coffee with a post lunch coffee with a 3pm coffee do you, have you replaced your smoking rewards with other um, things? Have I? Not just crystal not, meth. Just, yeah, just crystal. Not particularly. I, I'm, I'm trying to kind of enter a bit more. Like, a fruit break, maybe. Yeah, uh, just maybe cups of tea, stuff like that. I mean, like I'm very, um, I'm aware of what a good life and good good habits are. Mm. It's hard to to keep them going. So yeah, what gets? I mean, I totally agree with that. What gets in the way of good habits? Oh, you know, it, it, it's like my yeah. Your brain has the ability to kind of ignore things when you know you should be doing them. Oh yeah, I I'm quite. It's weird. I am quite impressed with my ability to just make music for literally to the point where. It's silly. Like I would just be in front of the computer for a silly amount of time, and I'm I'm quite proud of that because that's quite special, you know. And I know I can just do that, and I enjoy it so much. And I'll continue doing it until I stop enjoying it. But right now, I can't see 
any time in the near future of me not enjoying just sitting in front of a computer with a keyboard and all my computers and synthesizers and everything and just making and writing music. What's the point of your journey that you realized that that state of flow was achievable? Did you have to get a certain level of technical skill up before you were able to let yourself go down the rabbit hole of creation for hours on end? Oh, no, it's, it's just this idea of kind of like tinkering. And that's kind of my creative workflow is with music. It's one of a process of kind of tinkering. So you turn this knob, you play that chord, and you just kind of go back and forth. And it's quite meditative. So it didn't really... Because I kind of grew up playing instruments didn't really require a kind of tipping point where it all just kind of made sense it just it's all gradually came came together I mean as I continue I get better at making music my song craft gets better so I slowly improve and can kind of get better results but it's it's quite a standard methodical process you sit down at the computer or or the piano and you just you go for it is the live presentation of client liaison indicative of what's happening when you're recording an album uh somewhat in the extent that um you know what you're hearing through the speakers is but but no that the live process is quite different in that um that's i mean staging and whatnot um like do you have a base do you have like the same amount of musicians on stage as you would have no no so yeah the live thing comes uh comes afterward so we'll write the music, develop the ideas and concepts around the song, and then we'd uh, take that as a finished product and then move forward onto the live show. So, for instance, our current live show, we've got the, you know, big giant water coolers on there, which kind of embody, you know, the corporate mythology that kind of really came to fruition in the came to form in the 80s I love the idea of like you know so much conversation happens around the water cooler like you know mythically the water cooler is the place to share conversation at the watering hole and yet you guys are in a sense dancing around the water cooler sharing the stories and then you know Monty obviously I mean he's in terms of live show that's more his forte he's he's a showman so he's he's very good at that so he's a showman and a shaman he's a showman and a shaman so he would then um I mean, we do it together, but it's kind of, it's his domain. And because he's out the front, he's, you know, he's holding it down. So, yeah, we'd, we'd have this whole other process that would then occur for the live show. In my mind's eye, Monty's writing lyrics and you're writing the music. Is that what it is? Yeah, I mean, you know, he might write some music, I might write some lyrics. I mean, also, also in terms of, like, just branding, I'd be very um, involved in that. So just... Uh, yeah, the visual communication, the visual story that is client liaison, as from the kind of campaign marketing perspective, uh, perspective is is something I'm very uh, passionate about. And obviously, he's yeah, he's uh, what he sings, so he's the lyrics, uh, you know, are mostly of his own, and and that's yeah, he's you know again his forte that he's very good at. So yeah, we have our strengths. But um, all in all, in terms of the overall client liaison narrative, yeah, we, we push that forward together. That's like a thing we do together. Do all of your efforts creatively go back into the, the band in that? Do you have solo projects that you work on aside from yeah, client liaison? Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't, have, I don't have a solo project at the moment, but, you know, I, I work on stuff that I would consider, 
you know, not appropriate necessarily for client liaison that I that would sit under my name. But you know, at the moment, it just sits on a hard drive. I don't, I'm, you know, I'm so busy with client liaison, I don't really have time to put that out or anything. But um, and yeah, Monty collaborates with other people. But yeah, it's mm. it's more so, yeah, full time client liaison. If you, we I shouldn't mention we collaborate with a lot of people in terms of the right just writing the album for us. Right. So it's it's more uh, we collaborate uh, for client liaison more so than uh, collaborate for others. When you have um, when you know you're standing on the precipice of a new period of creating music, does that process of gathering inspiration have any formality to it? Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of you know you you just sit on these ideas and like. Really, it's it's like I've got a few of them kicking around in my head at the moment. They're just sort of simmering, ready to unleash. For instance, this this whole kind of like hot air balloon French Tintin kind of outlook, visual aesthetic. I'm, 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 that's been sitting in my head for so long, and wanting to make make sense and story of that kind of us in this. There was this great film as a child. Uh, that I watch called uh, the Chipmunks, and basically all these chipmunks that went around the world in a hot air balloon, and they had these travelling diamonds or something. It was this kind of international hot air balloon race that these chipmunks were involved in. Anyway, that coupled with kind of this that French kind of balloon aesthetic, hot air balloon aesthetic, very specific aesthetic too. Yeah, I'm just like I really, and then maybe sort of a dash of Tintin kind of kind of international espionage narrative thrown in there like this is this is me trying to rationalize like abstract thoughts in my head for the first time but that's sort of that's one of the many kind of situations like that i've got these little bundles like that in my head at the moment Mm. so that that's sitting there and i mean that could come out in a million different ways it could obviously songs lyrical content visuals i mean i've been learning a 3d animation at the moment so i mean have a 3D hot air balloon coming out for a video clip on that and have French lyrics on that. I mean, I'm just riffing now at the top of my head, but that's an example of one of these kind of clusters of kind of images, ideas, references that I've got that could easily come forth in the next album. And I mean, that what I just riffed on there, there's like a billion other versions of that in my head of little pockets of kind of story and, and visual and aesthetic that I, I want to kind of splat out and make sense but it's currently just sitting in my head as this kind of jaded abstract kind of combination of stuff I've experienced and that's there along with the other things that have similar kind of little piles of inspiration yeah. that may come to fruition based on whether musically you come to a place that meets one of those yeah well, well I guess yeah musically I mean I don't know, because, I mean, I'm always thinking about the video clip before we write write the song. So we'll have a song that me and Monty are working on, probably, you know, maybe a verse working on the chorus at the moment, but you can tell from, you know, the sound or maybe a lyric here or there, like, I'm, or even before we start writing the lyrics, we're, we're already thinking about the video clip. So I played Monty, for instance, there was this uh, song that I played Monty a, a bit of music that I without lyrics that I'd worked on and you know I'd be yelling at him like passionately being like oh and 
it's got to be a train. This is a song about a train. I can see the train traveling across the Nullarbor. This is what, and so it's interesting like that. Mm. We kind of, uh, yeah, it works backwards and forwards. To wrap it up, I love to talk to people about their ideas of a project that they're currently working on. Yeah. That if I was to bump into you in a year's time and say, "How's that thing that you're working mm. on?" You would say, "Amazing! It's done. I've I've made my yeah. my 2018 opus." What is it that you're currently looking at and hoping to have finished in a year's time? Well, we have a in a year's time uh, an album and the second fashion line of which there's going to be a giant campaign around. Uh, and I want to have finished the script outline for uh, Client Liaison, the movie. So that's, uh, that's what I want to have on the horizon. But, um, when, I mean, the fact that this is even a possibility, and it, it feels like in this day and age it really is, that you can do Client Liaison, the movie, you know, enough people would be intrigued with it. Yeah, or um, a mini, I'm writing it in the form of the, uh, a movie because... Uh, a lot of the teaching for story writing is, you know, script writing is based around the format of a, of a film, feature film. So it's much easier to learn about that, write it as a feature film, and then break it down to maybe a mini-series, um, which I think is probably going to be the best, most appropriate uh, platform for it. Is that indicative of what your process for stuff is like, where you'll go, all right, I'm just going to gather some inspiration on, on how to do this thing that I've never done before? Yeah, I mean, I've done it, but in, uh, I've done it in that I'm sort of involved in that industry in general, but I haven't really honed in on it. So, you know, we've shot 10 video clips, you know, I've been on set for hours and hours, like I've seen how this stuff kind of works. So I'm, although I don't pretend to be proficient and I'm sure you know, I'm not going to write the next, you know, uh, Schindler's List. But what I can do is get a really good script outline together. Then, you know, enter a development cycle, have a script doctor come in and clean that shit up, you know. Mm. So as long as I get the key ideas down there, that's going to be fine. But one thing I kind of do, I just, yeah, before we do wrap up, speaking about sort of video clips and kind of communicating visually, which is something that, you know, we uh, put a lot of energy and effort into, of late, I've kind of, uh, you know, I've changed my thinking and um, usually we do video clips, right? And it seems that people uh, aren't watching video clips uh, like they used to because they don't have the uh, sort of attention span uh, that and, they once and, did. And as simple as Facebook won't let you exactly. upload YouTube clips anymore. Yeah, precisely. So if you put a YouTube clip in, it will get knocked out of the Facebook feed within two seconds. So... What I want to be able to make content that's shorter, uh, but is it's like idea of a it's not quantity over quality, it's quantity and quality. So, really looking into sort of uh, banking content and creating sort of short bits of content that uh, can sit in the feed that were you know that are fantastic and as good as a video clip because it's just such a shame that. You know, everyone tunes out of a video clip after like half a minute. So it's like, and not to be pandering to, you know, lots, yeah, all the lowest common denominator, but I just think um, it's really hard to cut through is all I'm saying. And like our usual method of a video clip, um, which we'll continue to do, but I think we want to start trying some other 
other formats. It's interesting that in that time that you guys have been making making content, it's gone from being attention spans or video clip size to yeah. by the time you finish the promotion run, you know, attention spans have dwindled to, or maybe also the format in which people are consuming yeah. has shifted to be flick through as meant as much cycle through as much of a feed as possible put the phone away for another half an hour and then you'll do another spin do another spin exactly and I I, I was thinking about um, I was thinking about this idea of a client liaison film or miniseries and what I was also thinking is that you know obviously multi-platform thing would be on, on you know Instagram and, and, and Facebook and you know hopefully an online platform like Stan or Ivy that'd be the ideal situation but instead of just having it like okay we're going to put a trailer say you have six episodes for example instead of having a trailer on Instagram for every episode I think the maximum length is like a minute or something I love the idea that you actually have to cut a one minute episode so it's like instead of just giving people the trailer Give them a one-minute abridged version of the whole fucking thing. And I think that'd be a real challenge. And again, it's not trying to pander to the lowest common denominator or just snatch up some low-hanging fruit, but I like that idea that it can be seen everywhere. And it's not just, um, you know, you can watch the one-minute version or, yeah, go online and watch the 22-minute version. And it's not just this kind of um, trailer. Yeah, it's like that one-minute what looks to be trailer actually has a resolution at the end. It's a standalone piece. Yeah, standalone piece. So actually having content that can take like multiple different forms and and ditching the idea of the trailer. That's something I really want to do with this project. I totally agree with the idea of that. I don't think it is selling out or pandering to the LCD. I think it's about recognizing what the platforms are that people are wanting to consume and then making work within those platforms. I really wanted to be a feature filmmaker until I thought, okay, even if I do jump through hoops enough to get my dream project made and I got some funding assistance or I managed to self-fund and I nailed the prospect of writing a beautiful, tight 90 to 110 minute script and I got it made with a team of people hopefully rallying together to complete my vision as best as I could possibly do it, even if I managed to achieve what is a very challenging task in this country as it is, would anyone go and see it? And I don't know if they would. Oh, I don't know they if... would, but there would be a very low number of people. A very few people, exactly right. You have a small handful of Austra- diehard Australian film enthusiasts and my friends going to potentially see it at the movies, but let's face it, probably just watching it post-cinema that... release. And then you think, well, what am I doing it for? All that really matters to me is the messaging. Anyway. Yeah, art, art is about communicating ideas. And that's why, getting back to memes, I really like them, because you communicate complex ideas very quickly. So for me, it's uh, this uh, project that's on the horizon uh, of, you know, client liaison film or miniseries or whatever. It's very important that uh, it can take, you know, every single form of what what's available these days. You know, the, I even like the idea that the kind of, you know, the moral of the story could be condensed into a meme of, of this from the screenplay you, you could just turn that into a you know one image and text like distill the idea and, and put that in the feed now you're still getting across hopefully your idea if it's clear enough 100 percent. well i i think in that i've discovered the essence of your process which is to 
game systems of experience and find a way to turn complex abstract thought into something palatable based on what is desirable and what is current and what oh, is definitely. you know i i love that that's a beautiful place for us to finish uh, before we do finish i just want to say one thing i feel like i need to give some advice put some buzzwordy advice things to say um pick an industry not a job that's always a good one and just that i myself um for any people who are you know aspiring musicians or uh, directors of video clips or you know whatever we do m- most of our work in uh, yeah any inspiring creatives um I myself uh, am not. I'm not particularly talented. You know, I make a living off this, but you know, we don't have number one smash hits. So all I'm saying is that you don't have to be the best. You just have to. Uh, <laughs> well, how do I say this eloquently? Yeah, don't worry if you don't worry if you suck. Most people do. Yeah. So that was my chat with Harvey, and. I got a lot out of the conversation, but one of the things that I love the most is the idea of turning up to a creative pursuit every single day, and in Harvey's case, probably carrying a briefcase, but whether you feel like it or not. Behind the fun, frivolous stage show experience of Client Liaison is a meticulous process. I was really intrigued by the idea that they are constantly expanding and developing their portfolio, so to speak because it allows them to keep it fresh by collaborating with new people, by expanding the definition of what client liaison means to them. I think it probably comes back to the fact that the guys have an art school background, which means because they're not approaching the project purely as straight up musicians, there is a malleable attitude to what client liaison is. They can be a movie, they can be a clothing range, they can be a chauffeur-driven limousine service, they can be an arena stage spectacular if they choose to be. They're not rigidly adhering to a preconceived notion of exactly what they are, but yet the DNA of the brand and the stories that they're telling seem to be completely cohesive throughout. Another thing that really excited me about this conversation is that if you are 100% committed to the story, even if that story is utterly abstract, people will eventually jump on board because the more you do something and the more you adhere to the rules that you've defined for yourself, the more it just becomes the norm. So I get the feeling that three, four, five years ago when people first got to experience Client Liaison, you'd question, what is this? Is it, is it a joke? Are they taking the piss? And after a while, you just realize that 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 is client liaison and therefore you're able to appreciate where they want to take you next and the nuances of their storytelling and all the ways in which they want to expand that idea. It was interesting to me that Harvey seems to long for a, a type of work that is not just frivolous and creative and artistic. He actually really admires, you know, the severity of the corporate experience, which is actually fun that he sort of embraced some of the ideals of it in working out what client liaison looks like and what it's all about. But I think it's the merging of those two ideals, the serious with the frivolous or the structured with the unruly, that is actually the key to their success. Yes, the guys do this wild stage show, but actually there's a lot of 
thought and structure and discipline that goes into bringing such wildness to life. And that reinforced an idea that I have, which is passion is just process. There's no magical formula. You just have to turn up every day with a briefcase and make it happen. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked anything that you heard on today's show, please subscribe. And the very best thing you can do is actually to share it and rate it in iTunes because then that allows other people to discover it too. So in your podcast app, click share, text it to someone or email it to someone or forward it via Facebook and let them know, hey, I was listening to this and I thought you might like it. It's what I always do when I come across something that I really enjoy. You can change lives, people. I'll be sharing highlights from today's conversation and all my future conversations with guests coming up over the course of the season. And you can find them on my Instagram feed at Dan Brophy. Until next time, try scrapbooking.